Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome to a special edition of Strange Planet. What can I tell you? This is, um, we, we throw the, the word historic around an awful lot, but I think we can safely say that this episode is going to be discussing something truly historic, truly historic. A, a former military intelligence officer on July the 26th turned whistleblower, told Washington, D.C. lawmakers that Congress is being kept in the dark about unidentified anomalous phenomena or UAPs or UFOs. He went on to allege that at this hearing that 
the executive branch of various agencies have withheld information about these mysterious objects for decades and further that there is a secret ufo crash retrieval program a uh, back engineering program and that biologics or biological material was retrieved from various crash sites how's that <laughs> here to discuss victor vigiani retired school principal and also his analysis of anomalous anomalous uh, aerial phenomena spans nearly 40 years his experience involves ufo sightings repeat uh, report investigation counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences and uh, he is the executive director of zeland communications zeland communications news network victor how are you just fine and we finally get a chance to uh, to do this richard your introduction was spot on it is indeed uh, historic monumental in so many different ways i i think we've known each other almost 20 years yeah um and you know we we've talked about disclosure and and how it's been just incremental and two steps forward and two steps back and one step sideways and then we had the 2017 New York Times article, which was kind of a a, a pivotal moment, and then and then the, the 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 next six years kind of sputtering, and then we had the testimony uh, or the the public announcement before this hearing from David Grush, the whistleblower. Now he's on the record in front of lawmakers in Washington D.C. in in your nearly forty years in this field. Did you ever imagine that we would be at this point where we have a military whistleblower in Congress telling lawmakers, you know, that, that there's a secret program to back engineer UFOs and they're recovering biological material, mm -hmm. basically non-human. Did you ever imagine we'd get here? Uh, I, I, I was so hopeful. But I could never imagine how it would happen, uh, whether it would be some announcement from some high official in the White House or some other way. Uh, I, I would never have imagined that it would have happened in the way that it did with respect to how these uh, congressional leaders, the House of Representatives, went about uh, drilling down deep to get these hearings. I, I just never thought it would happen this way. Uh, in uh, in the face of a lot of resistance that all of these House of Representatives went through, I, I no to answer your question. No, I never thought it would happen in this way. I thought it would happen in in some other kind of way of, of some official announcement or whatever, uh, or some you know former president coming forward and blasting the doors open or something like that. But I never really thought that I would see uh, pictures of 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 a hearing um, room with literally a couple hundred people in it and uh, just sitting there waiting for these three people to testify and all the people at the, at the, uh, the panel up in front. No, I did not envisage that. And I guess the only thing that comes back to my mind is when I watched the Watergate hearings way, way back uh, in the seventies, when Richard Nixon was uh, under the gun, uh, I, I thought that perhaps if it did happen, it would look like that. And as it turns out, Richard, that's exactly what it was. You had, you know, John Dean sweating at the microphone uh, and all that kind of stuff that happened then. And uh, these three guys went forward and uh, they didn't sweat. They were very cool, but it happened in a way that I really didn't anticipate. 
So uh, there were three witnesses. David Grush, of course, he's the uh, the whistleblower, served 14 years as an intel officer in the uh, the Air Force and uh, something called the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, I've never heard of that before. Have you? The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency? No. Actually, I before, the only time that I ever heard of it was about two weeks ago when someone sent me his credentials uh, actually, someone had uh, got a hold of um, uh, Leslie Kane's uh, uh, publication of of Grush's uh, opening statement, and that was about oh gosh, I don't know, but a week ago, week and a half ago. That's the first time I'd ever heard of that particular organization. So I was lucky to get this statement uh, well in advance of the hearings and go over it. So it uh, it did give me an indication as to what he was involved in, but I'd never heard of that specific organization. No. Now, Grush had had, had um, gone public, you know, before officially testifying before mm-hmm. this uh, subcommittee on national security, borders and foreign affairs. Right. You know, he he let the cat out of the bag, um, mm-hmm. which was pretty monumental. But it's it's one thing to hear to hear his report outside of the House and then to actually see him and hear him under oath. Mm-hmm. uh repeating those am- amazing claims as you're watching the, the live stream on youtube of these mm-hmm. hearings that took place on july 26 you're hearing him actually say these things out loud what was going through your mind well it, it reminded me of, of an avalanche um uh, richard of, of information that uh sort of was falling on people and a couple of friends of mine were at the hearings uh, were in the room and when he started to speak uh particularly people like george knapp uh and i think uh, jeremy corbell was in the front and i think steve bassett was there too i saw them in the pictures and i know for sure danny sheen was there but i didn't see his uh, his um his face on, on the on the pictures of the of the audience but people tell me who were in the room as soon as he started to speak as soon as he was using the words technology back engineered non-human intelligence and biologic you could literally hear people in the front row going oh the kind of you know trying to catch their breath and saying did he really say that and th- so that that's the kind of impact that it that hit that it hit the room with at the, at the time it just sort of uh, i know people had read his opening statement uh, but it, it was one thing to read something and to actually hear the man say it was absolutely astounding. Uh, when he mentioned bodies, he used the words biologics, which was his fancy way of saying bodies. But the impact was just as powerful in the way he put it. Uh, Victor, I, I'd like you to read uh, David Grush's his opening statement. It's okay. it's about three pages. Mm-hmm. But this again, this is historic. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think yeah, you, should, yeah, you should do it. Yeah, I'll try to <laughs> fumble through it here. Uh, yeah, I've got it here in front of me. Um, and he he starts by saying, thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is a very important issue, and I'm grateful for your time. This is in front of the panel. And my name is David Charles Grush, and I was an intelligence officer for 14 years, both in the United States Air Force at the rank of major, and most recently from 2001 to 2003 at the National Geospace intelligence agency at the gs15 uh civilian level a lot of technical terms here that was uh, 21 which is the military 20, sorry, 20, sorry to interrupt victor but uh it was 2021 to 2023 just for the record i think you said 2001 yeah, yeah, what the, to 2003 my apologies oh, yeah, two, yeah that's right thank you um okay which is the military equivalent of the full bird colonel 
I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I was the agency's lead um, in unidentified anomalous uh, phenomena and transmedium object analysis, as well as reporting to UAP task force, UAP task force, and eventually the all domain anomaly resolution office, a Aero, A-A-R-O. I was a whistleblower through a PPD-19 urgent con uh, concern filing with the Intelligence Community Inspector General. That's very important. We should talk about that soon. Following concerns reports of multiple esteemed and credentialed current and former military intelligence community individuals that U.S. government is operating with secrecy above congressional oversight with regards to UAP. My testimony is based on information I have been given by individuals with a long-standing track record of legitimacy and service to this country, many of whom also shared compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documents, and classified official testimony. I have taken every step I can to corroborate this evidence over a period of four years and to do my best due diligence on the individual sharing it. And it is also because of these steps that I believe strongly of the importance of bringing this information before you today. I am driven by a commitment of truth and transparency rooted in our in inherent duty to uphold the United States Constitution and protect the American people. I'm asking Congress to hold our government to its standard and thoroughly investigate these claims. But I stand here under oath now, under oath now, I'm saying that, emphasizing it, I'm speaking to the facts as I have been told them. In the United States Air Force, in my National Reconnaissance Office, um, Preservist Capacity, I was a member of the UAP Task Force in 2019 2021. I served in the NRO Operations Center of the Director's Briefing Staff, which included the coordination of presidential daily briefings and supporting uh, contingency operations. And I should add right there that he did, in fact, participate in giving uh, paper records to the president about this as a in the daily briefing. I'll go on here. In 2019, the UAP task force directed uh, and tasked me to identify all special access programs and controlled access programs we needed to satisfy a congressional mandate mission. At the time, due to my extensive uh, ex ex executive level intelligence support duties, I was cleared literally all compartments and in the possession of extreme trust in both of my military and civilian capacities. I was informed in the course of my, in the course of my duties uh, of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program to which I was denied access to uh, those on those read-ins or read-ons. I made the decision based on the data I collected to report this information to my superiors and multiple inspector generals in the effect of their whistleblowing capacity. As you know, I have suffered retaliation for my decision, but I'm hopeful that my actions will ultimately lead to a positive outcome uh, of an increased transparency. Thank you for your questions. And then he's also got, if you watch the closing statement, he separated the two. Do you want me to go on with the closing statement? Yeah, let's do the closing statement. Okay, good. Um, it is with a heavy heart 
and a determined spirit that I stand under oath before you today, having made the decision based on the data I collected and reported to provide this information to the committee. I am driven in this duty by the conviction to expose what I viewed as a grave congressional oversight issue and a potential abuse of executive branch authorities. This endeavor was not born out of mistake, or pardon me, out of malice or dissatisfaction, but from an overwhelming and unwavering commitment to the truth and transparency, an endeavor rooted in our inherent duty to uphold the United States Constitution, protect the American people, and seek insights into the matter that uh, uh, we have been uh, looking looking at before us today. In an era fraught with division and discord, our explanations and explorations into the UAP subject seem to resonate with urgency and fascination that transcends political, social, and geopolitical boundaries. A democratic process must be, must be adhered to when evaluating the data, and it is our collective responsibility to ensure that public involvement is encouraged and respected. Indeed, the future of our civilization and our comprehension of humanity's place on Earth and it's in the cosmos depends on the success of this whole entire process. It is my hope that the revelations, the revelations we unearth today uh, of non-human reverse engineering I have reported will act as an ontological earth-shattering shock, a catalyst for global resonance and, re- and uh, reassessment of our priorities. As we move forward on our path, we might be poised to exa- examine and enable extraordinary technologies progress in the future which our civilization surpasses current state of affairs in our art in our propulsion systems material science and energy production the knowledge we stand to gain from this and cooperation of the norm rather than the exception just wow <laughs> yeah yeah just wow is exactly right um, and uh, that this has to be the most significant utterance important utterance ever um in the in the u.s house of representatives or 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 in in any um venue i would have to say i i i can't think of a of a, of a bigger one the, the only thing that comes to my mind right now as as I, as I alluded to earlier in our conversation was when i watched the watergate hearings when john dean was sitting at the at the desk before the microphone with his with his mouth this far from the microphone i'm literally sweating beads of sweat on his face um that that was monumental because it brought down a president and that that was the, the biggest thing that i ever heard in, in a congressional setting and this by far and away is, is similar but in so many different ways much much more important but it's just unfortunate that it's not being given the significance at this point in time uh, that, that it should. But I think that time will come, too. So um, it's another part of how how really important what he said and uh, and how the other two witnesses corroborated what he said. Uh, so let's just go back to the opening statement for a moment, because you mm-hmm. you, uh, you put a pin in this. And that was he became a whistleblower through a PPD-19 urgent concern filing with the Intelligence Community Inspector General, that's the ICIG, Mm -hmm. following concerning reports from multiple esteemed and credentialed current and former military and intelligence community individuals that the U.S. government is operating with secrecy above congressional oversight with regards to UAP. So I think you wanted to highlight this 
process yeah. right, when she became a whistleblower, the PPD-19. Yeah. There, there, there was a, there's a really significant, um, uh, I, I guess, um, distinction, some, some distinctions that have to be made here. When he was in possession of this information, when he gathered all the information that he said he gathered from a number of individuals, a number of agencies, um, and he had this all, uh, as did some other people too, but he was the main factor in, 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 in possessing this information. Uh, and he, at the time, was being, um, I guess, inundated by requests for interviews about the stuff that he was purportedly in possession of, this information. So, so he couldn't go forward at the time to do these interviews. So what he had to do was go to a special office and do what exactly you just described there. He had to go and get this, this um, pers- it, it, permission from this office that you just um, that you just cited. He had to go and get permission from this office to talk publicly about his um, about his revelations, and that office gave him permission to do that, which allowed him to. First of all, stay uh, within his special access uh, clearance uh, status, okay, and not break the law. So he was allowed by these people, by this office, to actually go forward and and be interviewed by certain individuals uh, that, that that were um, planning to interview him. So that's what gave him the impetus and the and quote unquote permission to do what he did. And if he didn't get that, I don't think we'd be sitting here today. So he mentioned. All of these terms that we've been hearing about for decades, special access programs. And, you know, we heard a, um, I believe he was um, a vice admiral, director of intelligence on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, supposedly gave an interview to someone uh, sort of off the record claiming that he had also requested to be read into some of these special access programs and was denied access. Mm -hmm. So we're hearing this is, again, further confirmation of these special access programs that are beyond congressional oversight. So that's Mm -hmm. very significant. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was also, uh, um, he he, he was being um, questioned by U.S. Representative Nancy Mace, I believe, from South Carolina, who I thought did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, he did, yeah. her interview, um, the other two as well, uh, Ryan Graves and uh, David um, Favor. Fravor. 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 Yeah. David Fravor. Yeah. Uh, and we can get to, around to discussing their testimony as well. But he, I mean, uh, after like sort of dropping that, that bomb, I mean, there wasn't he didn't add. He didn't add much that I could see. I mean, otherwise, you know, he said, I, "You know, I, I can't speak about those other things." And mm-hmm. Kind of mm-hmm. passing the ball to them. Now it's your turn to pick up the ball and run That's with it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the people that I've spoken to after this, um, just in conversation, uh, was that he would sort of let the cat out of the the, the multiple cats out of the bag. But he, he in that open session, and I think it's really important for um, our listeners to understand that he could not he could s- say what he had heard from these people in his closed settings. And by the way, when he de- did hear these things from the individuals and when he was interviewed but by certain levels of the intelligence agencies that did interview him, he was interviewed under oath. So he was interviewed there under oath. And then coming before this committee, he was under oath too. So if he were to, in fact, make a falsehood, he could be put in jail. I think something really important. Under two 
systems. First, his first uh, couple of interviews with the agencies before he had the um, opportunity to present it to the hearing the other day, and then at the hearing itself. So he is liable uh, for uh, any kind of things that he says that, that that are falsehood. So he could be put in jail. And there's no reason why anyone would come forward that I know of that would want to say something and, and make it a falsehood and be want to put in jail. So that that's really important to understand. So uh, from that, and your question again was? Um, I just, I guess your comment on the fact that he could only, he could only go so far and then yeah, basically that's right. okay. had to say, I can't comment yeah, further. Exactly. And basically, I'm, you know, yeah, it's up to you yeah. to investigate this. That, it, that's exactly, that's that would be my answer to your question, is that he put the information out there in terms of what he was told. And he went a little bit further in, in some ways and, you know, backed off on some. But as soon as it came down to giving names, dates, places, and all of that, he said, I'm more than willing to tell you, but I can't, I can't, right now, I cannot do it in public session. And I, what I will do is share that information with you in what they call a skiff, a, a specific um, kind of um, uh, closed session of information. That, that's what those compartmentalized closed session with with congressional leaders so he may be called upon to do that soon or maybe he's already had it done in these skiffs but that's where he will in fact give these congressional leaders all of the information that he alluded to and that he that some people are criticizing him for for not actually saying them at the at the hearing so once he gets into these skiffs into these closed sessions i think he'll spill the beans even more so to the congressional leaders that were there and then from there which is this this whole thing that uh, that i think people really need to understand is that um <laughs> david grush does not really care whether the american public or the american media believe him or not he doesn't care one iota about that the only thing that he cares about is that congress believes him believes him and takes that information and runs with it that's very very important for us to to understand because once congress gets this inside information then they can move forward not only with conducting more hearings calling other 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 witnesses but it also gives impetus to uh, Senator Chuck Schumer's uh, amendment to the legislation that he's putting forward to the uh, to the to the Senate about this um, uh, the National Disclosure Act that he is demanding that certain things happen with respect to the president naming and putting together a nine uh, member panel board of review uh, to review UAP things and it's all in the language of this of this uh, Schumer amendment. So he wants the Congress and he wants the government to move forward with this. And he sees his testimony as, you know, when you start a car and, you know, the the the, the, the ignition kind of goes, rrr, rrr, and, and then the car starts. Well, he's put the key in the in the ignition and he's turned it on and the Congress has got to go forward with starting the motor and drive the car to get towards some sort of uh, legal and congressional oversight about what really happened. He's just the beginning about all of this. Victor, we'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further as U.S. lawmakers now clamoring for transparency on the UFO issue. Back with my conversation with Victor Vigiani right after these. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. 
Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zland communication and zealand news network and uh where how do we access that victor yes you can go to zealandcommunications.blogspot.com and i've got uh, just recently put up a whole lot of media mainstream media urls i think there's 11 of them abc cbs nbc msnbc and different international ones describing their reaction to this plus i think if people really are sort of uh you know, policy wonks, if you want to read the legislation that, that uh, Chuck Schumer uh, has put together with uh, five other uh, uh, senators, it's really interesting to read. Usually these legislative uh, amendments are really boring. They're just sort of like reading the telephone book. But when you read the legislation, Chuck Schumer must have had somebody whispering in his ear to get this stuff on the page of the, of the amendment because it is just as, just as, if not more in some ways, devastating than, than Grush's testimony. A senator actually talks about biological entities in the, right in the legislation and, and, and requiring certain agencies to come forward and reveal these things within a certain time frame. So if this amendment to the National um, Authorization Act goes through, it could be even bigger than what, um, what, uh, what Grush did uh, on July 26th. That's hard to imagine that anything could, could yeah. be bigger. Um <laughs> Yeah. I've I've heard or read comments that compare what Schumer is trying to do with the JFK Assassinations Records Act, you know, demanding mm-hmm. release of documents and so forth. Right. Uh, and yet we've seen what's happened. I mean, we, we certainly we've had, you know, troves and troves of, of documents, but still mm-hmm. so uh, we've had you know, President Trump and President Biden uh, refusing to release, um, you know, I don't know tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of pages of other documents. Uh, even here we are 60 years later. Um, does th- th- does Schumer's amendment have more teeth, let's say, do you think, than the Presidential Assassination Records Act? In other words, are executives from the yeah. various branches going to be able to drag their feet on this the way they are with the JFK assassination? Well, I think the timeframes that I read within this look like um, numbers of days, like you're talking 300 days. 
Um, and they're also, uh, you know, modeling this stuff over the 25 years that was a requirement in the uh, JFK situation. I really, and the people that I've spoken to say, no, that's, that's literally inconsequential. This, this stuff is going to come down a whole lot quicker uh, than, than anyone would ever imagine. And the reason that I say that is because, as I, as I mentioned earlier, is that, um, that one of the requirements is that uh, the president shall um, put together a review board of nine citizens, not legislators, uh, but citizens uh, with some sort of expertise to review the information and to bring forward a report. And this means that the president, whoever the president is at whatever given time in, in, in the future, be it Biden or whoever else, um, has to put together this citizens uh, this review board. So that is something that's going to happen immediately. And who those members are, there's very strict um, and comprehensive uh, criteria as to who can be part of this review board. So I think that part of it will happen very, very quickly. The other thing that's going to be even more devastating in their revelation of all of this is that the legislation that Schumer is setting out is requiring corporate agencies, private ind industry, uh, who may be in possession of certain technologies uh, that they were given by United States um, uh, military entities. Because what happened was, uh, as sort of an inf information for your listeners, at some point when all of these crashed vehicles were, were happening and the technology came down, Roswell and all of this, the other technologies that were purportedly uh, you know, commandeered by the United States military, what they did, Richard, was instead of um, collecting this information and keeping it uh, for themselves and having uh, that information open to FOIA requests, what they did was they pawned it off on private industries. Honeywell was one uh, example, okay? So they gave it to these industries, and because they did that, the industries are not um, uh, required to, to, to um, you know, fall under the category of Freedom of Information Act. They can do whatever they want for the information and say they don't even have it. So that's an industrial thing that, that was part of, the, of why the government did that. So what this legislation is doing is requiring any corporation who is in the possession of information, technologies, et cetera, et cetera, are required to come forward. Now, I'm not sure what kind of teeth this legislation has or what kind of repercussions would be uh, brought into play if corporations held back. But I would think that because this is a, um, a Senate piece of legislation bounded by law, that these corporations would not want to engage the American government in a court of law because they want to withhold this information. That would be a decision that would have to be rendered in, into the court. So there's all kinds of pressure on everybody who has this information to come forward with it. Uh, that piece of legislation, uh, so it originates in the Senate, has to pass the Senate, and then it'll go to the House. Mm -hmm. um, where are we at now? I mean, is, is, there hasn't been a vote yet. I don't. No, I don't know. It has to go back to the House. I, I, this is a piece of Senate legislation. I, I don't think that the House of Representatives uh, can or will vote on it. You can bring forward stuff into the into the Senate without any congressional, um, you know, and the House of Representatives. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I think I, it may have to go through the House. I, I could be wrong. In any too, case, but, I, yeah, but in any yeah, case, yeah. it hasn't been voted mm -hmm. on. But here's the thing. No. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. we know, for example. When um, there's a piece of legislation that deals with anything where there are conflicting interests or there are lobby groups involved, like, you know, legislation dealing with pharmaceuticals right. or mm -hmm. I can't imagine the pressure 
that congressmen and congresswomen will be under from, I don't know, corporations that that have this. You mentioned Honeywell. I don't know, Raytheon, whatever. Who's ever mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. this benefiting from this technology? Uh, I mean, this is this is life and death for some of these companies i would think um and, and the senators and congress people sure yes yeah. they're going to play uh, hardball yeah. mm-hmm. well that's a really important point because on one hand um some of the uh the house of representatives the, the, the represent represent themselves and the senators i'm not sure that most of them really understand the gravity of what's going on they, they may learn that eventually by listening to the hearings or reading up more on it, having their staff people, you know, inform them about what's going on. I don't think they understand the gravitas of what's going on. So that's one thing that um, may not really kind of um, uh, propel them to get as involved as they should be. But once they find out about it, they're going to ask the, the question that you and I, that I've mentioned this to you before. Once these House of Representatives and these senators who know nothing about this stuff and get read into about most of it, either by way of just information that they that they get from the media or from their staff or whatever. If they don't know about this stuff, they're not well uh, informed, they're going to ask the question, how long has this been going on and why don't I know about it until now? And they're going to be pretty, pretty upset that this stuff has been hidden from them for so many years by the Pentagon and by other agencies. And that in and of itself could motivate these house, the House of Representatives uh, in, in the House and the Senators to sort of stand up in their hind legs. And you say, well, you mean you've been lying to us or you've been withholding information? That in and of itself could upset the, the, the whole apple cart in terms of support. And my understanding in all of this that's going on, especially the hearings and the Senate legislation so far from Schumer, it's bipartisan. It, there, there has never been an utterance to my knowledge of some sort of uh, partisan you know no i'm a republican i'm going to i'm going to look at it this way or no i'm a democrat i'm going to look at it this way what everybody is doing they're playing this thing right down the middle and saying that some agencies within the united states military and its government have been lying to not only congress and to the senate but to the american people and that is or will become a bar bipartisan issue that's that's the strength of what's going on right now so um the the pressure from other people other industries or other you know factions within the government at the pentagon uh they're going to be confronted by some of these people and say no we've got information that you've been lying to us and we, and we think that we have the information in classified settings that we've received that you have in fact been lying to us do you mean you can tell us that you do not have bodies that you do not have, uh, you know, crashed vehicles from a, a non-human origin. Are you telling us that none of these UAPs are real? Is that what you're telling us? So those kinds of questions have to be asked in a broader, uh, in a broader sense, uh, w- within the Senate and within the House of Representatives. If more hearings are held, prying this lid off of, you know, seventy years plus, seventy-five years of secrecy, it's going to get messy and. I don't oh, yeah. think I'm exaggerating to suggest that there yeah. is a very real possibility before the the before this is resolved, mm. or before we see the end of this, there will be bodies f- floating face down in the Potomac Potomac River. What do you mm-hmm. think? Oh my goodness! The, the, this post uh, post disclosure era is going to get very very messy. Um, I, I think um, there the pressure that was put on Grush, for example, just him alone. 
uh, was immense. And he alluded to it two or three times that he was threatened and, and you know, uh, blocked here and there. But I don't think he really expressed the depth of what these threats really were. And if these threats were made to him, uh, these threats have been made to other people too. And knowing what the how the Pentagon operates through some of my discussions with with um, with uh, uh, Watergate lawyer Daniel Sheehan, for example, uh, he he has shared with me that the Pentagon are just relentless in their opposition to this. Okay, and they will do whatever they have to do in order to stop this information coming uh, coming forward. Now, in saying that, he's, he also recognizes, as do some other people in the UFO research community, that there are factions within the Pentagon who want this information out. So there's there's vying there's vying forces within the Pentagon uh, or competing forces within the Pentagon to to get this information out, and I think that's where the bodies could land up, you know, uh, in a, in a fistfight in in some sort of uh, basement level of the C ring of the Pentagon. There there could be some bloodshed here. There really could because it's so important. Now the question is, why is it important? Why do they not want this stuff out? Do they just want to keep it secret for? You know, whatever reason, personal reasons they have or military reasons or political, they just want to keep a secret for secret's sake. Or is there something so devastatingly um, bad about the release of this information that the entire human family will suffer from it? Is that why they're keeping it from us? And I'm not ruling that possibility out. There could be part of this whole issue, Richard, that is so ugly, so um, demonstrably uh devastating to humanity that they that they know of that they don't want to let it out and that may be a good reason for them not to share it with us i'm not ruling that possibility out i don't necessarily believe that but i think that is a possibility that there are beings out there or there are off-world civilizations out there who uh, are very very nasty nasty uh, people and, and i and i will not rule that out and uh, but there are also other competing forces within the cosmos that will bounce them off. So there seems to be, and this is not a discussion that many people have had before, but it's a discussion that I've engaged in with a lot of other individuals in the research community. So there may be a slivers of information that we just don't want to know about. <laughs> uh, and now I don't, I don't think that's right. One way or another, we got to know about it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is. The fact that there is off-world civilizations out there, the fact that they exist is far beyond the capacity of the United States government or any government to classify. This is information that we own as, as, as human beings on the planet. It's not something that anybody can keep secret from us. So that, that in and of itself is, is a very important issue that we have to deal with. Uh, we, we just can't you know, erase the fact that... Uh, um, it, Destroy the destroy the, the Holy Bible, okay, and say that it didn't exist. No, no, that's not right. It exists. It's the word of God, according to the Christian, you know, uh, ethos. You just can't wipe that out of history. It's our right to know about it. And it's the same thing with this. The fact that off-world civilizations exist, extraterrestrials, is not something that any government can hide from us. So I think that that part of the whole dialogue and the narrative has to be brought out, and that could be one of the reasons why Grush is approaching is approaching it in the way that he has. All right, another quick timeout. Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network, Zealand Communications, back with more of our conversation right after these. The 
truth will set you free. 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 But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Victor Vigiani as we continue to discuss this. It can't be overstated. I mean, monumental, historic testimony from military whistleblower David Grush. Basically reconfirming something, yes, we knew several weeks ago, months ago, uh, that, you know, he stated publicly the United States government, branches of the government have uh, secret UFO crash retrieval programs. These have been going on for decades, uh, back engineering programs, everything that we've ever heard, uh, you know, coast to coast uh, about, you know, Bob Lazar, Area 51, you know, back engineering, uh, special access programs. Um, you know, we've, we've been talking about this for decades and now in an official committee hearing before U.S. lawmakers, uh, he repeated it under oath and further that, um, non-human biological material, in other words, alien bodies have been extracted from these, uh, UFO, uh, uh, crashes, um, I wanted to ask you, you you mentioned that now Grush will go sort of behind closed doors and this testimony will be, I guess, entirely classified. Um, But do you, what, what do you expect him to reveal? Like, will he reveal the, uh, the names of these special access programs, their locations, uh, who's in charge, the people that related this information to him? All of the above, exactly what you just said. If if you wish to watch the entire uh, hearing, it's on my website. Uh, if you want to l- listen to it, uh, just click on the URL, U- URL and C-SPAN kicks in and you can watch it right from the very beginning. I don't think you can fast forward things, but you'll have to listen to the whole thing. But what he did say when he was sort of, um, let me back up a bit. When he was asked a question that he could answer, he just, Bang, he just gave he just gave the answer right away. When he was asked a question that he could not directly answer, he said, Yes, I can only talk about that in classified um in a classified setting. And then some of the representatives said, Well, what does that mean? He said, Well, I can give you dates, locations, names of people, programs. He he does it exactly what you just said, that that's what he would be willing to do or is able to do. In a closed setting so he will be doing that dates times locations and here i'll bring up another thing that, that he that he may know of or that um he may have access to is it's a call it's called project moon dust and that was a project that was uh one of the first ones that i was informed about by clifford stone and he was part of, of uh, project moon dust Clifford Stone was part of a unit that would go to a crash site, gather the materials, gather the bodies, and bring them back to wherever they were told to bring them. That's Project Moondust. Now, that could be one of the departments or programs or whatever you want to call them that he may uh, have access to. So those kinds of things, when that's revealed, once the dates, times, places, and whatever you just said, uh, Richard, once they're revealed, Congress will have to move forward with that in order to challenge the pentagon to say well here's this information we know that you went to peru in 1968 and uh, gathered uh, you know purple material that was oozing out of a of a ufo crashed ufo and several of the, the 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 military people who were in contact with that had serious health implications what do you know about that 
and that and I'm, I'm I'm describing to you something that happened in Moon Dust. Okay, and uh, Stephen Greer also brought forward individuals who were actually at crash sites that collecting these materials. So all of this stuff is definitely under the umbrella of these special programs. It's, it's called the program. And uh, if if Grush is able to relate all of this information, or at least what he knows, or or name other people who can add to his testimony, I think the Congress is going to have so much information to deal with that it's going to make their head spin. And they're just going to be sitting back one night after after you know a dozen cups of espresso saying, what the hell are we going to do with all this information? And it, is this too big to bring forward into to the American people? All of these questions that have come into play, which you, I'll allude back to what you said earlier, that this could get really, really messy. And I think that's that's part of the whole narrative that could happen. This could get really, really messy. Uh, do we know when David Grush is scheduled to go behind closed doors and give up this classified information? Weeks? Not that I'm aware that's... of. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, well, I know that um, uh, there are, are other hearings scheduled for September. Okay, I, the oversight committee is, is scheduling more hearings in September, so I would imagine that um, he will be brought forward in a, some sort of skiff or close setting sometime before that, within the next uh, month and a half or so. So that's that's my understanding. That's what I've been told that they, they want they don't want to you know ride the puck in this too much longer because if they do, a the public interest will wane, b the media will be jumping all over uh, you know Grush's testimony. And it'll just sort of fade into oblivion, which is not something that we want to happen. This is something we have to keep in front of the of the media and, and the public and, and congressional leaders to say, no, this is this is not a dead issue. This is not a one time thing. This has to be something that has to be sustained in terms of congressional awareness, public awareness and media awareness. We have to keep keep the keep the ball rolling on this whole thing. Very, very important. Well, not that the so-called legacy media is as influential as it was even five years ago or 10 years ago certainly mm -hmm. um <clears throat> but we still look you know if it's not in the uh, front page of the new york times it didn't happen i mean that's just right. that's the baggage that we continue to to deal with but yeah mm -hmm. this should be i mean we, we we've all seen pictures of the headlines on uh, d-day in you yeah. know in the yeah. in 1945 and the uh, and um or 1944 and the in the on the new york times i mean or pearl harbor or whatever 9 11 mm -hmm. this this is that kind of a story it should be major major headline news all the tv networks that's all they should be talking about it's it should be on every newspaper every single day mm -hmm. and yet and you can see some online stories mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. man, a guy just testified under oath before Congress saying the U.S. government mm -hmm. is extracting alien bodies from mm -hmm. spacecraft. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you, you raise a really important issue. Um, <clears throat> the media has been trained. Okay, let's put it that way. And when I say the media, I'll, I'll encapsulate everyone. You know, any mainstream media organization right down to the smaller <laughs> local newspapers. They've been trained to disregard this issue as fantasy. And I, I would imagine that that kind of uh, training or uh, inculcation of a value within the media to dispose of this issue so quickly as just a, you know, a, a flight of fantasy, uh, as, as Paul Hellyer would have said, and th that is ingrained in the ethos of media that there, there, there really isn't anything to this, and we've really not received anything but just conspiratorial things about this issue. So 
you know, and we have no proof. We have no evidence. We have no bodies to see, crafts to see. Uh, there's nothing there. So what they've been trained to do is just put it on the shelf, mention it every once in a while. And then uh, when something important like this happens, you know, do a couple of reports on it and just let it settle. Just let it settle again. And that, that's been the sort of um, <clears throat> the cycle of news with respect to this. Something comes up about it. It's raised, you know, everybody raises up in the flagpole they salute it and then it comes down the flagpole again and uh it, we're, we're talking about uh you know shania twain coming to toronto for a big concert or the death of Sh uh, sinead o'connor you know that that's the news cycle is like that we all know what the news cycle is so something that's really 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 important can be put aside very very quickly by the death of someone on the subway that's just the way media works and you know you know that you probably know that better than i do and this sort of inculcation of that ethos within the media is in play here. And I think that's why uh, when I was w watching MSNBC the other day uh, and I watched um, uh, Fox News and CNN, all three of the networks played this up. OK, they, they, they had segments on it. They had good, you know, but then they just let it that let it go. And now on to the news about, you know, the Trump indictments or whatever it was. They just let it. Meanwhile. Every single one of those hosts on every one of those shows could be doing a full hour on this whole thing, but they're not. And my point there is that the media has been trained to redirect the attention of the public on other things because something is telling them that this is an issue that's not going to sustain itself That's in, in, their, in their minds. It, there's no way that this issue can be sustained. And I think they're dead wrong. But I think more has to come out about this with respect to, I, I think, you know, the technologies. If we let's say, for example, the the idea of just the technology, forget about the bodies for a second. If the ideas behind the technologies that we may have access to and that some of these industries are, are toying around with could replace any kind of fossil fuels, that argument has yet to be made in the general public. And even if it is, it's going to receive the same kind of ignominy that this whole UFO, UAP issue is. You mean to say we've got energy sources that will replace fossil fuels? Put that on the back page, Frank. That's what's going to happen. It just won't. The, the, the powers that be in, within, within uh, the, the media are saying, oh, no, our bills are paid by the oil industry. You know, the, the senators are paid by the, you know, we can't have that. So we've got a whole lot of forest and trees to, to go through before we get to the other side until everybody says, well, cut the trees down and say, here's what's really going on with this. And we do, in fact, have energy sources that will replace fossil fuels and we have to start experimenting with it or we're going to heat the planet for another four degrees and we're all going to burn to death. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm being off the cuff here, but that, that's exactly what has to happen in order for it to be the front page news that you're alluding to. Something big has to happen. It's got to hit people in their pocketbooks. It's got to hit people at the dinner table. It's got to hit people in their churches, in the libraries. And as soon as that kind of thing begins to happen, the media will do, I think, what you're alluding to by realizing this is a, the biggest story in human history. So, I mean, it, it, but how, how can you expect that to happen overnight? Oh, so much more has to happen before that eventuality in the media that we see this every single day. Uh, Victor, just a few words from you on, um, in addition to the testimony from David Grush, uh, there was Ryan Graves. He was the former Navy pilot, and he spoke out about uh, encountering UAPs on on various training missions. And then, of course, David Fravor, uh, who was the one who spotted this um, 
large object captured in the now famous Tic Tac uh, video during a flight off the coast right. of California in 2004. All three of them were sitting together and they were being questioned by U.S. Representative Nancy Mace from South Carolina. Anything mm-hmm. um, from their testimony that you think is noteworthy? Well, I think with the this obsession by the uh, by the committee, and I don't fault them for it, uh, this obsession by the committee with the national security threat of all of this, okay? And the United States government, the military, and you know whoever's been involved in trying to letting this information out, the only thing that they really are concerned about at this point in time is national security. Are these things a threat? And uh, what I think Graves' uh, position there was, he was in charge of um, uh, aerospace safety. You know, having pilots report this stuff so that they would be given mechanisms, A, to report it without any kind of impunity, and then B, what are we going to do about um, about airline and, and military safety in the air with respect to these UAP? Are they, in fact, a danger? Could there be crashes? Could there be intentional, you know, uh, uh, shooting down of airlines by, by these UAP? Are these things, in fact, a threat? I think that was Graves' kind of central theme then that's the agency that he that he brought about and that's why he he was brought forward because of air safety that was his his kind of that's the theme of what he was saying and i think the 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 congressional leaders that were there they just ate that up because uh you know you you cannot say that um this is not something that people are fearful about when they fly an airplane uh you know from here to london or in a jet someplace that their that their safety is involved so the congress is is going to obviously be be very 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 concerned about that kind of stuff and then as as far as uh, david fravor was concerned uh his testimony was so key in that he actually saw this thing he was it's not like you know uh what what, what graves said or, or what or what grush said he actually saw and experienced a craft in his in his airspace go from 50 feet above the water that he was flying over going up straight up in the air in less than a second to eighty-five thousand feet he actually saw that occur and when you have someone who can actually see that, that's big testimony. Now, what kind of impact did that have? Well, all kinds of doubts will, you know, doubts will swirl around the fact that nothing can do that. But in fact, he saw it happen, plus other things that were under the water. So, I mean, they, they represented three very, very specific niches of testimony. And I think that's what the, the Congress was trying to get at, at three separate air safety, uh, the sort of technology bodies thing, and then actual experience on the part of, of, of Fravor. Uh, so I think they, they, hit the, they hit quite a few nails on the head within each testimony. But I think having those three people there defined really strict um, uh, conduits of information that they wanted to bring forward to the American public. And I think that's why they did it that way. Three separate sets of information for the Congress to to ruminate upon and for the general public to understand what really happened. I think that's why those three were there. Uh, for uh, It was either Fravor or Graves. I think it was Fravor who still maintains there is this tremendous stigma about reporting such incidents and that only about, in his estimation, 5% of actual sightings mm-hmm. are reported. 5%. Five percent. Yeah. The, the interesting part of what what he was saying is that um, being a, a U.S. United States Air Force pilot, there are some restrictions within the United States Air Force. 
And we know that well after uh, much of these things that happened uh, in the time frame that Fravor had them, U.S. Navy pilots were given permission by the U.S. Navy to report these things freely without any kind of impunity. And the U.S. Navy has been on the record as saying that they will allow their pilots uh, to come in and freely be debriefed and tell about what they're saying uh, without any kind of impunity or effect on, on their career. The United States Air Force has not done that yet, and neither has the Army or the Marines. So you, you can see how um, uh, the United States Navy is far ahead. And in many, many other respects, I have yet to hear from the United States Navy about this because you have to go back to Roscoe Hillencoder, who was an admiral in the U.S. Navy, and he was the first director of the CIA way back in 1968 or 69. He was the one that came forward and said, we have to have a congressional hearing or congressional oversight or congressional investigation about UAP back in 1968 or 69 when he said, and he was from the Navy. And that is yet to come out. And that is very, very important. It's way back in history, but it's still present right now. It, it, he's sort of the ghost in the back of the room that hasn't been um, hasn't been recognized. Well, again, I'll use the word historic, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. this has really just opened a, a whole new chapter, and I think things are going to start to, ha hopefully, uh, I'm confident things mm -hmm. are going to start to happen in a hurry. I mean, it's, yeah. I don't think it's out of the question that within the next several years, we could actually see uh, some sort of physical evidence of uh, these crashed wow. UFOs or even biologicals. Well, Richard, you know, it, it, it's it's great that you should say that, because if you look at the speed at which this stuff occurred from, let's say, 1950 till, you know, uh, the turn of the century until, I guess, 2015 or so, it, it was at a snail's pace. Things just moved along. You dropped a grain of sand every 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 two or three years about something, but nothing really happened. It's, it was a snail's But since that 2017 article in, in, uh, in the New York Times by Leslie Blumenthal and Ralph... Um, uh, you know Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and Helena right. Cooper. Since yeah, since yeah, since that article, things have been been speeding up all the time. They've been just launching into into a trajectory where more and more and more information. Over the past two weeks, Richard, uh, I I just personally I, I can't keep up with it. I literally cannot keep up. That's the first time this ever happened. Usually things lollygag every once in a while. You get something hot here. So, but the last two or three weeks, uh, within the last month or so. It's just been daily, and it's going to speed up. And I think eventually, uh, very, very soon, we're, we're going to see exactly what you just said, that it's not within the realm uh, of impossibility that, that this is going to be sort of put under another basket for us to deal with over the next 25 years. It's going to come out, and it's going to come out big time. It, it has to. I don't see any other, any other, um, any other way that uh, this can go. I really, really don't. Well, it's been an amazing journey, Victor, and uh, it's been great to, uh, to share it yep. with you. Thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure, and, and I, I, I congratulate you for, for taking the time to do that with me and for other people that are involved in this. So uh, let's hope that we're moving in the right direction and we can uh, bring more news to people uh, as, the, as the weeks and months unfold. Thanks again. Okay, take care, Richard. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.